and welcome to Noise Creators Podcast, episode 17. On this episode, I talked to Seb Barlow. Seb Barlow is out of Wales, or I think I should say he's out of North Wales, UK. Uh, and he's best known for working with bands like Neck Deep, Blood Youth, Waster, and as it is. As you can see in this episode, he's a real passionate dude who really, like, knows his stuff about the songwriting side, and I think he sheds a lot of light on a little bit more of a modern production sound. And we get to discuss some really cool stuff in this episode, and I think it's a pretty damn rad one. Check it out. Hey, one second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people so if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing, trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's the chain you have for recording your voice today? I'm using an SM7B straight into my Sapphire Pro 4 Yeah, keep it, keep it at punk. Oh, yeah. So uh, tell me about your background in music. Okay, it probably started when I was like eight, nine. I mean, I guess the, the kind of earliest memories I have of it is like my older brother giving me and my younger brother Punkarama CDs. Uh, or nice. tapes, tapes, in fact. Um, wow. So like... I guess stuff like that, like Pennywise, Mill and Colin, Bad Religion, like a handful of bands off those kind of things. And then naturally that kind of progressed into Blink. And then, I don't know, it was. I guess it's just a pretty straightforward introduction to it. I kind of felt something towards it and wanted to pursue it a bit more. And yeah, I started in Nirvana cover bands. That was probably my first experience of being in a band, playing bass in a Nirvana cover band for about six months when I was year eight. So that was probably... 12, 13, something like that. And then from there, moved on to some kind of heavier stuff uh, and then found my way to this. So you're playing in bands. How does the producer thing happen? I think it's a, a similar story to a lot of producers. I was in a band. The qual- like We'd always recorded ourselves, but I still wasn't quite happy with how things sounded. And I wanted to know how to make things sound a certain way. I'd always listen to something just be like, how does that sound like? How does that sound like that? How is that made like that? And that kind of spurred my interest into doing it. Like, I guess the first thing that kind of got me interested in producing or showed an interest towards it was, um, so I guess it was like, I think that the, the main thing that kind of sparked me towards it was like hearing auto-tune, the auto-tune effect, like in electronic music and you'd like, 
like even just share as the example like mm-hmm. yeah. i kind of wanted to i wanted to know what that was and I, I i didn't know what that was didn't take me long to find out what it was but i, I think that's I, really funny though because everybody talks about how this is such a bad thing for music but it, what's funny is this got you a curiosity of like hearing that like extreme sound oh yeah i love it yeah like not less not necessarily in the genres i work with now but mm-hmm. but just that effect kind of like intrigued me enough to want to find out what it was so i found out what it was pretty quickly and then it was as simple as like tuning uh, choosing a scale and like cranking it and i was like oh shit I, that's cool like that feeling of knowing what something is and like figuring it out even if figuring it out was just going on the internet and looking at it but yeah just knowing what that was was cool i like that feeling of wanting to know something and then like kind of figuring it out nice yeah. um so you start getting a curiosity. How does it move to bands contacting you to work with you? It was it was more for me. It was like me offering my services to uh, a friend's band. A couple of the guys in Neck Deep were in that band, and I went to college with a couple of the guys. So like they were in that, and they had like I think they won a free recording session at a local studio. That's always that's always a rough one. Oh oh yeah, and then obviously the the product didn't come back very good at all. And I was like, I mean, I've been working with audio a little bit now, and like I can kind of tell that this isn't great so i was like oh come come record something with me come and do a track we'll do a track together and then after we did the one track we we're like oh hell yeah this is so much better like even if it was kind of shitty and it sounded like a really bad <laughs> demo but like it's like yeah this is way cooler so after that they kind of started paying me a little bit of money and i was i enjoyed it i loved doing it so i that's that's around the time i started hanging around on the ultimate metal forum the andy sneep forum oh it's it's really is funny how many people uh that did a big thing for Oh yeah, the 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 amount of stuff there, like it was just super useful just to dive straight into and just get trying things and like good community on there and like as as much as it was a kind of weird community at points, like it was good. Like I think people called each other out or like gave genuine advice. Sometimes yeah, there was like snidey comments or whatever, but like it felt like kind of a good place to kind of get your feet wet so to speak i mean that was a little bit later for me but i would go around there and i learned a bunch of things even as somebody who'd been doing it for probably seven or eight years when i came to it there was like some really good stuff and then like many uh internet forums it seemed like it uh eventually got a little too trolly oh yeah 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 there's this stuff on there that i like i definitely picked up from there but no that, that that i think that place was definitely somewhere that kind of like gathered a lot of information together to kind of look at and try and go over and like take steps it doesn't just feel like reading through things and it's like oh, i don't know how that sounds or that didn't sound very good it was always cool like to to hear different stuff and like there's even users like certain users on there and stuff like probably won't even know their real names but like would get stoked if you saw they'd post this and like oh cool i get to check that out and see what he did and mm-hmm. yeah it was cool nice so so you have your own studio can you tell us a little bit about that my own studio is between like two studios so i have a studio which is it's not my studio i rent it but i have a studio which is like five minutes down the road from me and it's like it's called amp studios if anyone Mm. wants to get up it has like a live room control room but i use that mainly for drum tracking really nice selection of mics and some cool preamps and like a little like uh like i think one or two compressors in there and stuff but pretty much everything i do still happens from home but yeah everything i do is still here i kind of make people aware of that too but i think most of the people that get in touch with me still know that i'm at home but right now i'm in the process i just had a friend around we were looking at um i'm trying to look out to move out into like a log cabin Uh, i'm looking at prices for those right now because i can't keep working where i live it's um, it, it, oh, it gets far too much so what gets far too much about it the line gets blurred like between mm. work and play like 
and just even the temptation to go back to things, mm -hmm. just always having your setup two minutes away or whatever, like literally I, I'll be sat on my computer in 10 seconds. Like it's nice in a way that I can do that. I'm like, oh, cool. I can work from home and I do this and I'm chill. But like when the bands leave and like I'm kind of still in work mode and maybe try and turn off, like I'm always like, I'm like, mm, okay, I'll, I'll just edit the rhythm guitars tonight. I'll do that. I'll just get a head start on that. And then that turns into another three hours work, which I don't know. Not so much. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've had a similar, th I probably over the course of my career, half the time had a studio where I don't live at it. And the other half had one where I live and, uh, it's, uh, it's a, it gets a little crazy at times. Oh yeah, dude. It's the, it's just even the routine of things too. Like rather than be like, okay, cool. We're going to have the set time from this time till this time. We're going to have this cool routine. It's like, well, we can do whatever you guys want to do. If you guys want to do something tonight, I'm going to be here. So we can just work from this time until whenever. Mm-hmm. And I need, I think I, yeah, not having a routine and not having a, a, a time frame to go, we're going to work from here till here. Like that kind of screws things up a little bit. Un understood. So tell me about one of the coolest pieces of gear your, one of the two studios you work at has. Funny, talking about um, auto-tune, I've got um, an Antares AVP-1. Like, oh, so the hardware auto-tune, is that what that is? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I don't really use it, but it's kind of cool. Like a friend of mine told me John Feldman uses one of these to like monitor vocals while he's tracking. I, so like I've heard the same. Yeah. So like he, so basically if someone goes too far off pitch, then that wasn't a good take. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can do it again. But like, I mean, I tried it a couple of times, but I didn't, I didn't like kind of having something else on there. If you know what I mean? Like I kind of felt like I was tricking my ear a little bit and I'd rather just straight up hear the take and be able to decide whether or not that was good enough or not where, without having some effect on the way in to be like, that was out of pitch. Like that was too much out of pitch. Like I've got a pretty good idea now from, from doing this for however long and working with auto tune, like if a note's going to work or not, mm -hmm. or if someone has to do it again. But I mean, it's pretty cool. Like it's got a compressor and an EQ and stuff. Not that they're amazing, but it's kind of a cool piece of gear. Nice. Yeah, I, I remember there was like a big period for a while, I want to say like seven, eight, nine years ago, like where people would MIDI out the song, the vocal melody for the song and then have the singer sing through that. And that was like the big, cool new technique. And uh, it was always to me like it didn't leave it up for there to be a happy accident. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, it was always like one of those things like I, uh, I think some of the best moments of a song is like when somebody actually fucks up and you're like, oh, wait, that's great. And, you know, yeah. that, that shuts yeah, yeah, that yeah, down. Yeah, for sure. So what instruments do you play? I'm kind of a jack of all trades. Like, I guess the first one I picked up was probably guitar. Should be way better than I am for how long I've been playing, but I kind of haven't had a need to. I mean, I doubt, again, I think I just dabble in bits from, from working with so many bands and like not having to take instruments off them, but just go like, oh, can I, can I grab that for two seconds and kind of just trying to figure things out. But I wouldn't say like I have a specific instrument I play, although like I guess i'd say i'm kind of a vocalist i'd say probably 90 percent of the records i've done i will have done the high harmonies in in their choruses cool so like we like to say that there's like a scale of like there's steve albini who's just gonna like capture your band really well and not really comment on your takes and then you have your john feldman who will like fully rewrite your song for you um where do you see yourself on that scale? I'd probably say leaning towards Feldman, but not like a hundred percent. I never want to. I never want to take control and like steal a vision, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like they've got a vision, they know how it want. They know how it. They want it to sound and kind of hear it. So like, I don't want to take too much away from it, but 
I'm definitely like if I think something would be cool, I definitely suggest it. Cool. And so, what do you think you bring to records most often? I'd probably say, well, of course, all producers I I consider like an outside ear. But mm-hmm. as you said with Steve Albini, John Felt varies greatly between like the amount of input they give. But I don't know. I'd I'd definitely say songwriting, in, instrumental songwriting, mainly like structures and like like transitions and stuff like that. Like the probably the technique I use or a general guideline I use is like, okay, you've got the song. If it's a demo or it's finished or whatever, like let's put the, let's put a scratch rhythm guitars down. Okay. So we've got the chord structure throughout and then kind of figure it out from there. And cause I kind of like, you kind of get a general idea of a song and how it's going to flow and work from just a, a rhythm section, like a rhythm guitar section. So I guess it's more that just like little bits, not necessarily like rewriting things, but more just moving things around, shortening things, Definitely adding things though. I mean, a lot of times bands come to me for pre-production and demo, demoing and stuff, and like, we'll completely rework a song, or or they'll be like, whatever with this one. Like, we kind of like it. We like the general idea. Let's just do whatever with it. But as a general rule, like most of the time, I'm always saying like, "Mm, okay, let's let's try an octave here, or let's get rid of that octave there and try a different octave. Cool. What's a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio? I think not being prepared enough is probably the probably the biggest one. <laughs> Surprisingly, a lot of people get surprised at the fact that they need new strings all the time. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, that's a that's yeah. a uh, very common one in uh, punk these days. Oh yeah, especially bass strings. People are very hesitant about. Oh, I need more than one pack of bass strings. Like they're expensive. Like yeah, they're expensive, but we we need to do it. And then I get the yeah. Going back to the just being prepared. Like a lot of bands, I I don't really know that many bands anymore that jam in a practice room. Like a lot of the time, really, it'll all be demoed themselves. And so you're saying just like straight up done in the computer, drums and everything, and then they're not even. Do you think they're not even practicing beforehand? Like the songs they I write. Mean, in the pre- I mean, some of them do, like, oh, yeah, we had a practice or whatever, but, uh, like, a lot of the time it'll be, like, like not being prepared in the sense of that they've wrote this track uh, and it's, oh, cool, it's done, but they just tracked it and forgot about it. They didn't think about the song, re- like, not think about the song, of course, they've thought about it and wrote it and gone over it, but, like, not enough to know every part, if you know what I mean. Like, oh, sorry, can you just solo that one more time? I just want to hear what that says. Like, I don't know, it's a little strange, a little hmm. strange. What's a smart thing you see bands do during the recording process? Automatically wanting to tune up, being ready to tune up all the time, being ready to double track and knowing where we're at if we're doing guitars or whatever, like not doing one take and then kind of wait for me to do something and then play it back, like pretty much always being ready and kind of keeping up with a fast pace of tracking. Not that it's like, over, like you got to keep up with me, but you know what I mean? Just be no, aware. Well, it's really important. Those like hesitant minutes of not knowing you should tune, that yeah. studio time where you could be doing something creative. I think that's actually a great point, and we no one's mentioned that, and that's a really good point. Cool. Yeah, I think I, I think that's definitely a a big one. Kind of just after a take, just relaxing, or, or, or I don't know, just but just keep up, just keeping up with the pace and like being aware of what's going on, and like even just understanding the the software we're using. Just like, oh, okay, so the mark is there. All right, so that means we're going from there. Or oh, we're at this point, so we're going to go from there. Like I'm very vocal about where we're going to go from anyway. A lot of the time, if we've had a minute or so, like okay, cool, we're going from here. All right, but yeah, just just being on the ball and ready to go is is a good thing for me. Nice. What happens when you and a band disagree about something? I guess it depends what the thing is, but a lot of the time I want them to maintain their vision. I want them to basically have the final say. Like 
if I really don't think something works, I'll make my point and I'm, I'm I guess make sure I'm heard and like and they understand why I, I'm saying that. But a lot of the time, it's down to the band. I don't want to jeopardize what they think is cool or what they think is good because it's their band and that's that's what they want to do. So, yeah. So we have a couple rapid fire questions about kind of modern production stuff. Just give me your feelings on them and how they apply to your production. So the first one is, uh, do amp simulators have a role in your production? Yeah, definitely. I use amp sims. I use amp sims to track all the time. I'll never just straight up track from an amp or I use a Kemper as well. Mm. So I, I don't even really go into that and like DI it out and use a tone. Like most of the time I'll use amp sims to track everything and edit everything. And then when that's done, I'll, I'll reamp everything. But, but there's been on occasions where I've used an amp sim and we've used an amp sim through the whole process and it's got to reamp in. It's happened a couple of times recently and got to reamp in and tried all this stuff. And I'm just like, it's okay, but like, I'm not vibing it as hard as I was with that amp sim. I don't know why, like, but it just sounds better in like with everything else that's the amp sim sounds better. So I guess it's whatever. I mean, I use them all the time, but in the final product, it varies, like whatever sounds best. Gotcha. So what about uh, sample drums? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huge role. I mean, I don't, I don't want to do it so it's like completely overtakes a kit. But I mean, sometimes it's happened where I've been mixing and just automatically I've moved the, the, the sample track up and it sounds better. Like as long as, it, as long as it's not triggering weird or, or like on rolls and stuff. I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I, again, to me, it's it's whatever sounds best. Like, and and for the for the vibe of the song, like, obviously not going to do like super hard hitting drums on like some soft down tempo thing. But like, on the most of the time, the stuff I'm doing is like fast, aggressive, hard pop punk. So mm. a lot of the time, everything is like pretty heavily sampled, except toms. So kick and snare are sampled, and then they're parallel compressed. Yeah, I, I I use drum samples a lot. I love drum samples. They're probably the 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 thing I all, like not always look at, but I'm always kind of intrigued towards. Like I'm always interested in new drum samples. Nice. How about pitch correction? Oh yeah, huge. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned earlier, yeah, the the AVP one. I used to use that live a little bit. Pitch correct. Yeah, dude, I use pitch correction all the time. I just started. Um, I've changed my work around a little bit. I was using uh, AutoTune Evo mm-hmm. for everything. And then I only found out recently that Waves Tune kind of corrects things as it goes. Mm-hmm. So what I've been doing is doing all my backing vocals with Waves Tune, and that saves me a ton of time. And then just doing all my main vocals by hand in Auto Tune. But yeah, everything gets tuned. Like occasionally, bass gets tuned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't really tend to do that. Like I haven't noticed. It hasn't been enough to justify me doing it every time. Like yes. if I've tuned, if I've tuned it, I don't. The difference isn't big enough for me to go. Yeah, I'm gonna tune a bass every time we record a song. Like I just don't think it's worth doing. Yeah, I think that was like a thing that people got really into in the like excessive Pro Tools era of like, all right, now we're gonna tune the bass and we're gonna put a synthesizer next to it for every single note. And yeah. it's like. Oh man, and those yeah. records just sound so dated from like that excess, and like it's like more like all right, the bass is a little out. Well, we do have auto tune and melodyne now these days. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like um, like with metal productions and stuff like um, programming like a sub bass. I know I know some mm. people do that, and like I've tried it. It's kind of cool, but again, I it absolutely does not justify the time programming a, a whole bass track for me to 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 use that sub bottom end, especially for the kind of stuff I'm doing. Understood. 
So do you master your own records? I don't, and I do. Like, I'd always choose to outsource it to someone if I can. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, like, it happened recently. We did the we did the track, did a kind of semi-master on it, I guess. Like, I don't really know that much about mastering. All I know is just kind of take it easy. Don't, mm. don't, don't try and do too much. Um, but had a record recently where it's like we sent it off to a mastering engineer. It was sick. Uh, sorry, no, it wasn't. It, we, it, we sent it off to the master engineer, and it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the label wanted to try a different master and engineer, and then they ended up using my master. Hmm. So that was interesting. Yeah, I think there's a thing, and we've talked about it a bit on this podcast before, that like if sometimes when you hit the mark and you really like you get to the point where you're getting what you want, it's just like the mastering is not always the thing. Like You just did do well, and sometimes that objective perspective is welcome, and sometimes it's just like you nailed it, and that's that. Yeah, that's all it was. I mean, like, I really didn't overthink the mastering at all. It was like a couple EQ moves, like half a dB, a dB, like very, very slight compression. And then I think it was just the FGX on, on there. Hmm. Uh, and it sounded cool. It, 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 it sounded good. So I can't complain. But as a general rule, uh, general rule I, I, no, I, I don't really master my own stuff. How long do you like to usually take to work on a song? Like, so how long does it take to track usually? Then how long does it take for you for to, to mix it? Okay, so I'd probably say tracking is like three days. Like one day for drums, second day for guitars, bass, anything else we want to throw in there, and then a third day vocals. And then after that, I'd probably say to mix a song, it'd probably take me day and a half, two days maybe, to get everything together and edited and tuned and ready to go. Day and a half, two days, maybe pushing on three days. But that's being like, if we're, if we're just focusing on one song, I guess, like if it's like, right, cool, we'll come in to do this one song, I guess that's how long it would take me. But if it's like an EP or an album or something where there's multiple tracks gathered together, I guess kind of shave some time off. Like it wouldn't be a general rule of like, okay, a day for drums, a day for this, a day for that. Like, but if it's just one song, it would probably take me three days tracking and then two, three days to edit, correct and mix. Cool. Tell me one of the best moments you've had in the studio. I guess this one is kind of a, a best and a, best and a worst. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when we well, were. My recording. next question is the worst, so okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you're going to kill two birds with one stone. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll try this one. But we were recording um, Neck Deep's first album, Wishful Thinking. We were doing that. We were doing everything in my room, basically, like guitars, bass, vocals, drums were done uh, elsewhere. But it was. It was like the middle of summer, super, super hot. We had like two or three fans on at all times. When we were tracking vocals, we had people in the room like, right, fans on, all right, open the windows for two minutes, close them, turn all the fans off, let's do another take. So, 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 so now just to, just for clarity for people, just you're also, you're in England, right? Yeah, yeah. It gets hot there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Surprise. I'm joking. I, I lived there for a little bit. <laughs> so for, but it, it, I'll tell you why, though. It's even worse up here because I'm in, like, the attic of the house. Oh. So it's, it's the coldest room in winter and, like, by far the hottest in summer. So we were tracking vocals for a couple weeks. And then between takes, we had windows open or whatever. And, like, it got to a point where my neighbors were so done with hearing very, very shouty not really singing mute, not singing to them at all by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just done with it. And then one night we had the window open, like between a take or whatever. And then a tomato came flying through the window. <laughs> um, yeah, a tomato came flying through the window. I had no idea what it was. I screamed. Everyone else was like, whoa, what the hell was that? 
Um, and then I looked down, there was a tomato over the floor. And then we went out and no one was there. We were like, okay, <laughs> all right. But yeah, and then uh, plenty of abuse followed that too, mainly verbal. But yeah, that was, that was fun, uh, <laughs> but also terrible. Um, another worst moment, actually, just dwelling on this negativity here. Let's talk about <laughs> the worst things that ever. One of the very, very first bands I did, like right near the start, like, they were young dudes. They wanted to come do one song. It was like, okay, cool, whatever. But then the the five of them came. Two of them brought their girlfriends. Just a, a standard like, I don't know, no, no. And we were here, and we got like nothing done. They spilled an ashtray. Like, Oof. oh yeah. So that was pretty sucky. And then I emailed them the next day, like, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. Sorry. Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I th- think that's the thing is, is, you know, if you're bringing the girlfriends and all that, that's usually the, that is usually the calling card of I'm not taking this seriously. Oh, 100 percent. That's the indicator towards I like the idea of being in a band. Yeah, it's a, it, like you, you know how like everybody would make fun of like Van Halen for the thing like they would only they would have the put the brown all the M&Ms but take out the brown ones and put it in a dressing room drawer. But you know yeah. the funny thing was like that story was that would tell them if the venue didn't do it that they didn't take things seriously and they didn't take their request seriously. And it was actually an indicator that they're going to go around and check the venue for everything. <laughs> and I think that you know bringing uh, more friends than there are band members, girlfriends to the studio. It's like significant others whoever it's it's a, usually the calling card for this is about to suck oh yeah what are you in this for man what, are you, what what's your game here what's the end goal yeah that, that, that thankfully don't, don't have that much anymore but uh no no tell me about a record you did that changed your life i thought about this one a lot it's kind of hard like i don't feel like i've had my life changed by any wet record hmm. i've worked on like of course i mean i have favorites favorite things i've worked on but like i don't know once once one thing is over i'm always on to the next thing i don't kind of i don't know i don't think like that was the best or i hang up on that or like oh that was way better than this one like i kind of treat every project uh, as a new thing anyway like yeah I don't, I don't know if i've had any records that have changed my life yet anyway but but no i i, I see everything as a, as a as a new start and when it's done it's done and that's it I, I think that's actually a really good way of looking at it so what's a perfect record someone else has made and what makes it perfect a lot like a record i listened to a lot recently was uh the main american candy mm-hmm and I love that so much. Just I like, of course, the, the tracks are sick. I'm not like every single track is great, but like for me, it was just the production on the whole thing was so good. Like it, I, I thought the production on that album it is like perfect to me. I was really into the production of that album, um, and I only looked him up recently, and I was like trying to find stuff up uh, about it. His name's Colby Wedgworth. Yes, um, but. I was. I wanted to. I wanted to know this guy's deal. I wanted to know what was going on. Like he'd done any interviews or if he, if he'd done anything. But nah, the the main American Candy was a uh, was was great for me. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed listening to it. I think more so because of the production on it. I love the drum tones on it. Nice. So let's go through five record of your favorite records throughout your musical growth and talk about like you know what got you into what what's taken you through the years. Cool. All right, this is gonna be straight up cliche, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you got you, you got your Fallout Boy, take this to your grave and Cork Tree, both very, 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 very good. Uh, I think I I love take this to your grave. A couple of tracks on there are by far my favorite Fallout Boy songs, but I think Cork Tree had a bit more of an impact on me. Mm. Sticks and Stones, In Love and Death by the U's, a little bit of a weird one, but I love that album. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's a very common answer for producers. Like, you know, there's so much depth to that record. Oh, yeah. And, like, just I, I can remember the first time, there's very few records I remember the first time listening to it just be like, 
wow, that is a lot of depth in production. Mm, yeah, I, I I still listen to it all the time. Like uh, probably at least two, three times a month, I'll 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 spin through that. I love that album. Uh, and then Blink as a whole, like they're the 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 ones that did it for me. Blink are always going to be number one, but probably if like being specific, Take Off was the one that that kind of grabbed me. I mean, I heard them a little bit before that, but Take Off was the one that kind of did it for me. And then once I was into Take Off, I loved everything they did. And say it like you mean it by the starting line. Nice. Yeah. All, all great classic records. So aside from that main record, what's your favorite record of recent times and what inspires you about it? I think of recent times. I love Transit Joyride. That was great. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a great album. Probably like a big one that like, really interested me and kind of i don't know i don't know how, why i feel the way i do about it but the 1975 oh yeah that, that's uh, my favorite record the past few years yeah yeah that album like i'm i i don't think i'm very vocal in like summing up how i feel about it but when i first heard chocolate a friend of mine uh, uh, is a promoter in liverpool and he he was putting them on and he shared the chocolate videos like oh i've got these guys playing next week or whatever and i was like god this is cool i really like this um and then everything after sick like love the love the whole album still listen to it now i mean the the tracks they've released recently are okay like i think they put three new ones out the, yeah i i will i like one love one and really don't like one yeah that's that that's a pretty accurate description of how i feel about it like there's one i really don't like and then the two others there was one of them that stood out a little bit more to me but no that that's cool Missa, I really like the Missa album. Mm -hmm. That like another favorite record of mine. Like kind of just for me came out of nowhere, and I love it. Listen to it all the time. Yeah, I mean, when I used to man manage Transit, and I first heard Tim showing me those songs, I'm like, why aren't you making this right fucking now, dude? <laughs> yeah. Like, get in the fucking studio and let's move. Yeah, literally, it's it. I, I love that album. So, what have you been working on lately? I, I've been working on Wasters full length. I don't know how much more I can really say about it, but mm -hmm. we did two weeks of like writing and demoing and pre-production and a, like a lot of stuff changed. They're supposed to be going somewhere else and somewhere else. Um, that I think right now their guitarist is tracking everything. I've kind of given him some point. He was, he was already pretty good at what he was doing. Like we used some of the demo files he had while we were writing. I was like, Oh, these sound cool. Like this sounds good already. But so we did two weeks of writing and demoing and now he's, He's away tracking all the instrumental. And then their drummer goes in, I think, at the end of this week. And then yesterday, I've started tuning all the vocals for it. We did like two weeks of vocals, not last week, the week before. And then we've got to do a couple more sessions too. But yeah, just pretty much full on waster right now. Uh, who else was there? I work with a band called Homebound from down south. They um, worked with those guys a couple of times before. So we just did a week of uh, demoing and again, pre-production and writing and stuff. Um, it was sick. We got an extra track done. We were supposed to just go for a certain amount and we were doing so well and they had a lot of ideas that we got another track down. Uh, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Just finished a uh, single with As It Is. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, they're, they're yeah. a great band. Yeah, it was really, really cool to do that. Don't know when or what or if I can say anything about it, but yeah, it's, 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 I'm allowed to say, and like they posted like that they've been working on new music and stuff. So yeah, I just wrapped up with that. That was sick. Really cool. Uh, Pi, the vocalist that band is so good. So good. Yeah. Like he, yeah, he was on the ball, dude. When it came to vocal day, he had every like harmony, uh, like as a checklist of things to do, like, okay, that harmony's there, that harmony's there, that's done. And like, uh, I sent a couple of people like the untuned chorus and I was like, 
it, it's pretty much there like mm. even timing wise just like it was so good it was so easy and just fun to work with a vocalist that was like i don't know that 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 good and that like took what he did that seriously yeah and that ma- that makes a huge difference and like for all the musicians listening it's like you know th- it, like listening to us talk like that's how you do it that's how you make something great is be that you know concerned with your art and concerned oh, yeah. with your craft yeah vocals are an instrument too you know like a lot of people i get as well like i mean i still work with a lot of indie bands and stuff too maybe a lot is like over the top but like i still get some bands that like don't do warm-ups and stuff mm-hmm. that's so important like vocals are probably the the thing i i love doing the most like that's when i feel things still, sort of come together but yeah this vocal is still not doing vocal warm-ups still not treating their voice properly taking it as seriously could as seriously as they could like you can even like vocalists i feel should even go like the extra step and maybe try and learn piano or something and you know try and understand what it is they're doing and and what works with what they're doing yeah i i, I think that that's the thing is is there's just so many people who don't see it as like you know, if I play my melody on a keyboard, that is very similar to what I do, and there is a correlation between these two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they just they just think like, well, I I scream and I I shout, so mm-hmm. like I don't need to warm it up because warming up is for singers and classical singers and pop stars and stuff, so I don't need to warm up. But I don't know, strange. I've got a lot. Of, I've I've got I've got a good collection of warm ups I use. Done it over the last couple of years, just getting like certain warm ups and little like demos and stuff that I like, and we'd probably do like half hour, forty five minute warm up before we do anything. Nice, that's actually a pretty extensive warm up. Yeah, yeah, full full warm up. We go through a lot of lot of examples, a lot of lot of techniques. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet: that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.